the eldership team here, along with Andy, who is away this week. Uh, it's a joy to be together, isn't it? And I'm looking forward to having uh, some good time at Christmas, but I'm also a little bit like sad in a way that we won't be sort of meeting as regularly. We'll have effectively two weeks of not having like a norm, well, four weeks of not having a normal service together because we've got the next two weeks and then we've got Christmas Day as a Sunday and then New Year's Day we'll be going for a walk together uh, or a wander around from starting at Daisy's Cafe and then in Castlebury Park we'll be sort of uh, doing our normal jaunt if that's a word that you enjoy listening to as much as I enjoy saying. So this morning we are uh, finishing up this invited series Everyone is Welcome at God's Table and uh, we're going to look uh, in a little bit at uh, two sections of scripture. We're going to look at Luke 14 and uh, Revelation 7, just a couple of verses from there. But then I want to just give us a kind of encouragement to finish out the series, really. Uh, let's look at Luke 14 together to start with. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's sort of towards the end. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the order there. And we're going to look at Luke 14 just a few verses. It's a parable that Jesus uh, told. And uh, as I was reading this uh, this week, I just, I just felt God impress upon me that this uh, a particular uh, application from this. So uh, this is Jesus talking. He said this, uh, for Luke 14, verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike, those who'd been invited, began to make excuses. The first said to the servant, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. And I just, I found God really highlighting to me again this last section. Where he says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. And I was, I was thinking this week about uh, our wedding when Me Megan and I got married. Uh, we, we, had sort of, we were dealing with the invitations and we were sort of, you know, who do we invite? You know, should we invite them? If we invite them, that means that there's like this whole other layer of people that we need to invite. And obviously, you know, you want to be generous. You want to say to everyone, yeah, come to our wedding. You come to it, come to all. We'll give you dinner, we'll do this. But if you've never, if you're not married, you never sort of dealt with a wedding, you've never been sort of adjacent to one, it gets expensive. You start inviting people, it's like, oh, hang on, this costs this much money for this many people. This is, this is getting out of hand. And, you know, we're not, wealthy people oh, you know we're not from wealthy families so they're trying to think okay we really want them to be there okay so how do we manage this and all of that kind of stuff 
And there were some people where it was like, oh, we should probably invite them. And it's like, who are they? I don't know, but we feel like we should invite them. You know, there was a moment where I said, you know, what about these people? And Megan said, can you name who they are? I was like, no. <laughs> um, some sort of relatives of mine. <laughs> or like, oh, that person, they've got children, I think. Oh, so what about that person's child? Actually, that person turned out to have three children, but I didn't know. I just thought they had one child, you know. So all of these things, they sort of, it gets complicated. Um, I don't know if you've like if you've ever had to deal with that, you know, maybe not for a wedding, but for like a big party. You've, you, you, maybe you celebrated turning 18 or 21 or a particular event in your life and you thought, okay, yeah, I want to invite them. Oh, but if I invite that person, they're kind of friends with them and they're not invited, so maybe I need to invite them and then that opens a whole new social group. It becomes difficult, doesn't it, managing those things. And you gave a great message about invitations in the summer. Talking about going to the Queen's uh, garden party. It's supposed to be the King's garden party now if he does that. No. I just, it's, it can be tricky. And I just felt from these verses, God saying, there are people that you think, oh yeah, they're the ones I want to invite. But actually he's got other people on his radar. He's got people who are in the highways and the hedges who are on his radar. People we wouldn't think immediately, you know, when you're, writing out your wedding list. Okay, here's the guest list. The people that fell off the bottom are often the people God wants to reach. The people that we might think, okay, they're, you know, they're not on my list. They're on God's list. I think we can, sometimes we can be overly focused on particular individuals or people we already know and God wants them to be saved. Maybe you've got someone you've been praying for for a long time. God, Break into this person's life. I'm not downplaying that at all. But I'm saying maybe God's got some other people that are right there, adjacent to you. You're so focused over here, but you're missing what God wants you to do there. And I think we can become, we need to be more relaxed about sharing the gospel. I don't mean like less interested. I mean more interested, but in a more relaxed way. I can remember when Dave uh, came back to church, who shared earlier, Dave, um, every day he was sharing the gospel with people, sharing his story. This is what God's done in my life. You know, many of us have had that experience. We've had moments in our, if we're following Jesus really closely, it seems like every day I'm talking to someone. And other times it's like, I don't remember the last time I told someone the good news of what Jesus has done in my life. We need to be a bit like, and what's the difference there? Sometimes it's that we're passionate about it. I think sometimes we're, we're, we're on the front foot. We're keen. We, we want to be involved. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I could say something, but I won't. Because we think, oh, it's going to go wrong, or what if it's a big deal? If we're more relaxed about it, hey, you know, went to church on Sunday. This is what God's been doing in my life. You know, I was praying about that the other day. Little phrases we can drop in, things we can say to be more open and relaxed about sharing the gospel. And over the last few months, we've been looking in this series at how God's plan has always been to bless the world. God's vision for the church to reach out is bigger than us. 
His plan has always been to bless the world, to have a diverse people who are in relationship with him, who know him, who are worshipping him. And we've seen that that's true from what God said to Abraham. He said, through your descendants, I'll bless the world. We've seen how that began to work. Jesus, when Jesus came, began to draw people to himself, and then the church is born in Acts. And if you've been following along in the invited booklet, you'll be getting towards the end of Acts. And you'll have seen how the gospel spills out. Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they're all together. And then the Holy Spirit comes and the gospel begins to spill out. An Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. The, when they're together on the day of Pentecost, it's, there's Jews from all over the world of, of, or you know, the area have come. They hear the gospel being spoken different in their language. And then they're going to go back and the gospel is spilling out. The good news of Jesus is spilling out. And then Peter and Cornelius. And then it goes further and further and Paul begins his journeys. And eventually, as these new regions and new people groups are reached with the gospel, it keeps going through Acts. It's getting wider and wider. And you know, Paul said, I've got this ambition. I want to go to this place. But Acts doesn't end. I don't know if you've, if you've read it before, if you'll get into the, it's kind of a bit of a, you know, if it was a, a film or a TV series, it would be like that TV series that you love that finished one season and then it got cancelled. And it's like, well, what, what happened? What happened to all the characters? What happened to this person? I want to know, do they end up together? You know, do they get off the island? That sort of stuff. Acts doesn't really end properly because we are meant to continue the story of Acts. We are effectively in Acts chapter, you know, 500 or 400 and something. We're living out the next chapter, chapters of Acts. And God wants to see a diverse, multicultural, multifaceted, glorious church. don't know if you have looked at any of the census data that's been released. Maybe you're sort of not as nerdy as about that sort of stuff as I am. I'm not really that nerdy about it. But as a church leader, it becomes interesting. Oh, okay, well, what is, you know, the state of play in Watford according to the census data? And I looked at it, the census data, as a church, we're, we're probably pretty reflective of uh, Watford as an area, and as, uh, when I say Watford, I mean Watford, Hartsmere, Three Rivers, you know, those kind of local places up into sort of, uh, yeah, Hemel Hempstead, that sort of way. All of these sorts of areas, we're, we're pretty reflective as a church. We reflect the diversity and the sort of breakdown of what's going on, and that's encouraging because the church should reflect the area that it's in. The local church should reflect the area that it's in. Praying for that to be for for people groups that aren't represented in our congregation. We want to God bring them in. We want to see people saved. We want to see you know some of our Afghan friends saved. They make up a, a portion of the population of Watford now, for the time being. Imagine we saw that. Imagine you know there were people from a Muslim background saved and added to our church. People from Every different 
ethnicity and cultural background that's, that's registered in Watford was represented in the churches in Watford. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Okay. Not just, and when I say represented, not just, oh, they come on a Sunday, but actually integrated into the church in a way that their form of worship, that, that would become our form of worship. That everything's not just conformed to this homogenous grey, but actually there's diverse, genuine diversity that's celebrated and enjoyed and loved. Wouldn't that be great? It wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. Because God's passion for diversity is bigger than ours. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. Race, age, class, marital status, everyone is invited. Don't discredit yourself and don't discredit someone else. Oh, they wouldn't feel welcome. They're not welcome at our church. No, as a church, we are blessed with lots of young families. That's, you know, we are blessed with that. That shouldn't be to the exclusion of someone who's single feeling like, or maybe I'm not welcome here because I don't have 2.4 children or whatever the average is now. Whatever age, whatever life stage you are in, everyone is invited to God's table. His end goal, this is God's end goal. We've looked at a few passages like this throughout the series, but this is just a, a couple of verses from Revelation 7. This is a, a part of John's vision. He says this, After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, to me, that Megan goes mad because I always try and change Christmas songs into uh, football chants, you know. Ring out those bells tonight, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Like, I love it. It makes me laugh. This, to me, this is a genuine football chant moment. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb salvation belongs to our God. It's like a real terrace's anthem. They're crying out. This is not salvation belongs to our God. And to the land. You know, there might be moments of that where it's hushed and someone comes and it's just a whisper. And it's, it's, oh, it's powerful. Like this morning we had moments of silence. But this is a great multitude crying out. Come on, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and the, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne of God and worshipped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There's a great multitude. This is where you know, the course of human history is heading towards this kind of moment where there is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's where we're, that's, that's where we're headed towards. That's God's passion. His, his vision for it. Thank you for moving the slide on. His vision for it is bigger than us. We think, oh, maybe you know, a, a really well-functioning, healthy meals together, worshipping in different musical styles, church in Watford. Wouldn't that be fantastic? God's like, yeah, and that's just the start. It's just the start. You'll have, you know, in that multitude, there'll be some like me who are going, salvation. There'll be other people, salvation. You know, they're just like probably a bit quieter because there'll be diversity there. There'll be a mixture of people. If human history is heading towards that, and if God has said, I'm going to work through the church, which he has done, there's lots left to do. Us having a diverse church is a great thing, and it's a small part of playing grand global vision. Too many G's, that's hard to put together. If we saw it, in, if we saw that for ourselves, like John sort of said, it's a multitude no one can number. You know, unless there's people sort of being replicated, eventually you could number it because you can count. You know, but he's saying you just can't get your head around it. It's just, it, it's just so many people, and it's just so amazing to see. But there's a lot of work still to do to get. There's a, an organization I've written here, Joshua, I, keep write, I kept writing in my notes, it's called the Joshua Project, and I kept writing Joshua Tree, which I think is an album, a music, is it U2 or something? Um, which I'm not really a huge U2 fan, but I just kept writing Joshua Tree by mistake, um, and one, one hasn't been corrected. But Josh, the Joshua Project, and they sort of have categorized people into reached and unreached groups. And so there's a lot of work to do. And so here's just a brief overview uh, of some of the sort of statistics that they have produced. And I think they you know, seem to be fairly reliable in this. Um, so they put the number of people groups in the world at 17,429. That's the total number of people groups. So not obviously countries or nations, but different people groups. Uh, and they say they're unreached people groups. There are 7,417 unreached people groups. So as a percentage of the world, that's 42.6%. So the, the population of the world at the time of this statistic being produced was uh, 7.9 billion. I think we possibly have even gone through 100%. Um, and so that means that in terms of unreached people, there is approximately 3.4 billion people unreached. And what they mean by unreached is that there's no self-replicating church in that place, in that people group. There's a, a map here which shows uh, some of that in, I suppose, a, a more visual way, if that's helpful. So uh, you can see that the, sort of the categories that they've got there Gray is that there's no data available or it's sort of not inhabited. So, you know, some of that sort of real Arctic tundra up in the north uh, there. Uh, red is unreached people group or the, and they're the least reached. Yellow is 
nominal church. So there is some church presence there, but it's perhaps not replicating or it's not uh, as alive as it perhaps was at one stage. And then green is uh, established or significant church. So if you look at the UK, you can see that there's green in part of that. that there's a church is established. We can meet freely and worship God. And if we said, hey, we want to start a new church, that could happen. And there would be people who would be enthusiastic to do that. In some of those places, obviously, this is not, you know, super zoomed in. So if you zoomed in on some of the yellow, there might be like a little pinprick of green in there. This is just to give a general flavor of what's going on. But you can see there's a lot of red there. There's a lot of red there. Seven thousand four hundred people groups that don't have a church that is like sharing the gospel, growing, replicating. Jesus wants it all. Played <laughs> played a, a board game, a risk. Have you ever played that? You know, Jesus's mission is world domination. He's going for it all. He's not just, oh, I'm just going to hold one territory. He's going for it. He wants it all. It's all his, and he wants it back. That Revelation 7 vision that John had, there's none missing. All of that red is green. There's none missing. That should encourage us and should reassure us of success. One day it will all be green. They will be successful. Jesus wants them all. The Father is inviting them all. Everyone is welcome at God's table. You know, I heard someone talking about this and they said, imagine, and this works for me because I've got three children, imagine I left my children with you to look after them. And then I said, you know, okay, I'm going out. And I came back. I came back and there was only two of the three. Where's my other child? I kept two, you know. And these two, they're getting on so well. Look at them. They're playing nicely together. They're looking after one another. It's pretty good, right? I want all of my children. I want them all back. God is, he wants them, wants, wants them all. He wants everyone. His will is that none should perish. So what do we do about this? Well, we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about it later. But we, in short, we pray we give, we go, and we welcome. But what about the green? You know, we might not all go to a red place. That might not be what God has asked us to do. We might not be able to do it. Within those green sections, within the yellow sections, there are people, they've been reached, but they're still lost people. You know, they, I said earlier, the UK census results came out, didn't they? And it was like big headlines. For the first time ever, it's under 50% reported that themselves as Christians in the UK census. And it was like, I don't know if you saw that. That was like a big deal, apparently, in the news. I think it is, in some regards, a big deal. In some regards, it's not. It's, it's perhaps just a truer reflection of the reality. Because there would have been a lot of people who previously said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, tick that box. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm from England or I'm from Britain. And actually, they're not. 
think it's a truer reflection of reality. And it's actually an exciting time. To me, that's great. You actually know now that you're not a Christian. So trying to convince you to become a Christian or share the gospel with you will actually have some effect rather than going, yeah, yeah, I know all that, mate. Actually, you, you know that you don't know. So we've moved from, you know, what was it? Uh, unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. Not incompetence, but you know what I mean. That's the terminology for that thing. There's a, this is the map of uh, Watford and the surrounding areas. That's all our patch-ish. Um, and you can see, based on the colours getting sort of lighter or darker, um, how like sort of more intensely, the darker the colour, the less people say they have, uh, or the more people say they have no religion. So in Watford, 24% of people, 25% will round up. We're all friends here, we'll round up. Say they have no religion. So that's not just not Christian, no religion. So that means one in four people, if you walked along the high street of Watford, would say, yeah, no, I don't follow a faith. The flip side, 40-ish percent, I sort of averaged it out for those areas, 40-ish percent said they were Christian, which means that half the people you meet in Watford would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Even if all those people who said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, really meant it, and they said, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm on fire for God. If all of those people were saying that, it still means that 60% aren't. The fields are white for harvest. You might think, I'm not sure I can... What can I do about that? I can't. There's nothing I can do. You can do something. We need to care enough. Sometimes I think that's, that's why new Christians or people who've recently come back to faith are so passionate about it, so passionate about sharing the gospel because they know they, I was like this and now I'm like this. And over a period of time, if you're a follower of Jesus, a bit tired. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember yeah, it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I, sort of, I suppose I wasn't that great, really. And Jesus saved me, and it's been good since. No, we were dead, dead, and now we're alive. We should be, in, we should be excited to share the gospel. Our response, pray, give, go, and welcome. Pray. You can pray for people that you know. You can list out all the people that you know who aren't followers of Jesus. You can ask God again and again and again. Keep asking, save them, Lord. Help, give me a chance to speak into their life. You can sign up for prompts from uh, the Joshua Project. I almost said Joshua Tree again. Don't sign up for prompts from Joshua Tree. Um, I don't know what that is. You can if you want. But the Joshua Project, you can sign up to get a daily email to pray for a particular group that are unreached. 
So you can pray. You can give. As a church, the money that is given to this church, it goes to various different things. goes to planting new churches through new grounds. goes to translating the Bible into new languages. At, at some point, we're sort of, it's, it, you know, who knew? It takes a while to, to take a language that's never been written down before for someone to learn how to speak it, write it down, and then write the Bible in that language. That takes a little while. But that, as a church, we support that work. One day there will be the Bible in a language that there isn't a Bible in that language. And it will be because of you giving to this church. Because we want to see the world reached with the gospel. You can go. You are already on mission to the lost uh, and unreached around you. Those you know and those you don't know. It might be that you just bump into someone, perhaps literally, and that sparks a conversation where you can share the gospel. And maybe you will go to those who are unreached. There's people from this church who have gone to places where actually... The gospel is not, it's not like here. It's not that there's churches established. It's, this is the front line, the tip of the spear. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. You can pray, you can give, you can go, and you can welcome. We live in a relatively stable country. You know, September aside, things, you know, are pretty stable here. Um, I think it was September anyway, and there's all the political turmoil. We live in a relatively stable country. And often people from other nations get brought here for safety, for refuge. We've experienced that, haven't we, over the last 18 months, give or take. We can welcome those people. Whatever reached or lost or unreached, we can welcome people into our lives and into our homes to show and share the good news of Jesus with them. And as we do, as we do that, as we pray, as we give, as we go, as we welcome, we are walking towards that Revelation 7 picture where there will be a great multitude that no one can count declaring salvation belongs to our God. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that everyone is invited to your table. Everyone is invited. From the people that we're most desperate to see saved, come to know you, to the people that we think there's no way they're so that they could never they could never change their mind on this but we know that it's you who brings new life we pray help us to carry the invitations to those that you want us to speak to help us become enthusiastic and passionate about seeing the lost and the unreached reached and welcomed that we might have a foretaste, a taste now of what is to come. 
picture of a multitude from every different tribe and language and nation and people group declaring salvation belongs to our God. Praising and giving glory to Jesus. Help us to do this in the power of the Spirit that we might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name.